Hey there, everybody. Kevin coming at you again because we have another interstitial episode this week with the blast from the past of our review of The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett. We're getting near the end of what we have recorded, anyways, of that old book review. So soon we'll be coming at you with brand new recordings for that book review, finally finishing it off, which we never did way, way back in early 2019. I want to give a quick apology to our patrons for not getting this out early for you this week, but I had a wedding to go to over the weekend. My brother was getting married, uh, and uh, despite the terrible, terrible idea of having a wedding during COVID, uh, I could not find a way to escape the familial obligation of appearing at their wedding. So I was unable to find the time to get this put together. I got back, and I've thrown it together now. I also, because I missed it last week, uh, because she joined at long after... Uh, we recorded that episode with Aaron. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our brand new and most amazing patron, Savi Aquino. Thank you so much, Savi, for joining up over at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. We'll be back with you with a brand new episode next week of Chapter 4 of The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro. That's it for all the uh, busy work this week. I hope you enjoy the show. should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. the final segment this week, we get chapter four of The Russia Hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. Did I get it right? I'm going to ask you every week from now on. Yes. All right, because I got the order wrong once, apparently. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, so this chapter, chapter four, is titled Clinton Greed and Uranium One, which for some reason is in scare quotes. Uh, which is no... Yeah, I mean, it's a real company, so yeah. it seems like... You it, don't yeah. need to put a company name in quotes. I don't know why I don't know why that's there. Maybe because it's he's talking about the Uranium One scandal, which should be in quotes? Yes. Uh, maybe, I don't know. But uh, my alternate chapter title... I had two. My first alternate chapter title this week was I Know You Are, But Trump Am I. Uh, because as we go through <laughs> this chapter, I am going to repeatedly point out where Donald Trump did exactly what you are claiming Hillary Clinton did here. Mm-hmm. You have another one, you said? you had. Two well, I was going to give you an opportunity to go, and then I'd give my next one. I'm trying to be polite <laughs> and courteous and nice after yelling at you about Bernie Sanders. Okay, the whole last, I'm going to go uh, segment. Kushner Greed and 666 Fifth <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, my uh, second alternate chapter title was Meeting with Russians is not a crime. See Infra. <laughs> uh <laughs> That Please will be turn to chapter yeah. Eight. That will be chapter eight. That literally chapter is it chapter eight? I think I thought it was seven uh, of I this book. Know. Is was, yeah, chapter eight is titled "Meeting with Russians is Not a Crime." Oh, it is chapter eight. Yeah, 
sec that sixth sense of yours. Uh, so we'll get to that one eventually. But let's start off this one with the quote as we usually get. And this one is even worse than usual because it is one step away from ultimate douchebaggery of quoting the art of war. Uh, and this one... Yeah, it's, it's the art of war or the prince. I'm really hoping yeah. one of those comes up. Uh, he quotes, There is no greater disaster than greed. The way of Lao Tzu, ancient Chinese philosopher. Which I, I wanted him to do the old uh, 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 Confucius say, right? A man who stands on toilet <laughs> is high Tzu on pot, say, right? Yeah. That's what I wanted. Uh, but we st- <laughs> But this chapter starts off uh, with of course just wildly really, oh, yeah. just really wildly so but, but they start off with saying truth has always been an alien concept to Hillary Clinton <laughs> no footnote there's no footnote there would you see, would you expect a footnote and then the, the, this is the weirdest thing to me that like some I, is it just do, do rich people not understand how money works I don't know because I, I, he's like so a lie he's claiming Hillary Clinton's told was we came out of the White House not only dead broke but in debt and whether you believe that or not is unimportant. Mm-hmm. The important thing here is to to note that the fact that he doesn't believe that is based upon the fact that they owned two houses. <laughs> as if you can't own houses and be in massive debt. Dumb. That's literally yeah. what owning yeah. a house is. That is what a mortgage and is. And we get it my first... massive, we, we, massive debt. We get here and my... that is literally how the housing <laughs> crisis started. People owned a bunch of houses and had huge amounts of debt on them <laughs> and then couldn't pay the debts on the houses that they owned. Mm-hmm. I'm done now. You can say a thing. <laughs> and we get here my first... Donald Trump did exactly that. When Donald Trump owned multiple high-rise office buildings yeah, while being incredibly in debt. Yes. Yes, so we get that right. Wild. It, it is wild. You are right. It is absolutely wild. It's, just, it's but- a mortgage. It's not complicated. <laughs> you should know what a mortgage is. It's debt. Calm down, Benedict. Calm down. We know you've been house hunting, uh, but you know it's not going to happen. <laughs> so uh, we also we, we move on. And the, the main point of this chapter is, of course, as we talked about, Uranium One. So we're going to be dealing with Uranium One, the Clinton Foundation, and Bill Clinton's speeches. And he conveniently mixes the two, Bill Clinton's speeches and the Clinton Foundation, as though they're the same thing. So that you sort of forget which one you're talking about uh, and and sort of assume that the monies are coming from the same place and that they're the same money, etc. So, but we get information here that... Well, I mean, just before you go on... There is clearly a back scratching system in politics that mm-hmm. needs to go. It needs yeah. to get in the bin. Yeah. But that's what the whole system is built on. Yeah. So you can't single people out and be like, these people did wrong when I'm sh- like every every politician probably has done exactly these things. Right, right. So we start off talking about Bill Clinton's uh, speaking fees, right? Mm-hmm. Where at one point he charged an average of $225,000 for each Who speech. Who pays that? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I, I, I did wonder about that. But that's, I mean, that's not that far off from what a lot of former presidents get for speaking yeah, fees. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a thing. But, like, really, is it worth it? I like, don't know. is it really, really worth I don't it? Know. Like, what wisdom are you getting? Like, a, a few years ago. Like, if, a few years if you're going to pay, sorry, if you're yeah. going to pay a quarter of a minute, at least get, like, a Kardashian or yeah. something. <laughs> this might be entertaining. You can get you can get a Kardashian if just, you just promise them two million uh, Instagram likes or whatever the hell it is. Sure. Uh, but my, uh, uh, my alma mater, UC Berkeley, a couple years ago, uh, got the guy who was the what's the the, the Will Smith movie, movie the Pursuit of Happiness, the guy yeah, yeah. who was the uh, the real life story behind that movie, oh, yeah, yeah. right? And 
there was this whole kerfuffle because initially uh, his publicist had sent like his usual speaking fee cost to the university when they asked him to give an, an address to the graduating class, which like a typical thing is even if you charge speaking fees, you don't charge them to speak to a graduating class because yeah. that is such a bad look that nobody ever does it. So it turned out it was just a whole a whole uh, his publicist had screwed up and sent the wrong thing or didn't know, didn't understand, whatever the misunderstood thing was, right? the situation. But his right. speaking fee, as it turned out, was something like sixty five thousand dollars for that it's guy, who's like a huge hedge fund investor. Yeah, game. right. Well, he had a movie made about. I guess his his speaking fee probably went up a lot after the movie was made about him. I I, if I had so. to guess, but so sixty five thousand dollars for that guy, two hundred twenty five thousand that doesn't seem all that crazy to me for a former president of the United States. And those fees, yeah, of course, went just, up when just... Hillary Clinton was was Secretary of State, but that doesn't seem that crazy to me that the more nexus of of fame and, and everything, the yeah, higher your speaking correlates, fees you are. Correlates with your fame. Right, right. So, Although he was already an ex-president, so, I mean, you would think that it would, that would be about as high as it was going to go. But mm-hmm. So we get, uh, he says, a 2014 analysis by the Washington Post determined that Bill Clinton was paid roughly $105 million for speeches. And I assume that's everything before 2015. That's the only way yeah. that really makes sense. Uh, with Well, 2014, because that's when the analysis was going. Yes, that's, that's what I meant. With the majority of that income derived from speaking engagements in foreign countries, is the rest of the, the sentence. Uh, yeah, because it's all Arab money, probably. Probably, I'd imagine, right? You, uh, it, it's very much popular. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but the next, next sentence we get is, quote, almost half of that money, some $48 million, went into Bill's pocket while his wife served as Secretary of State. While paid speeches by former presidents are neither unusual nor prohibited, Bill's reliance on foreign sources demonstrates how the power couple devised a money-making machine designed to to deliver what foreign governments and corporations wanted most, access and influence. And here, here's where we get, or I would say, Jarrett has a point. And it's the same point that you're making, right? That this is the machine of politics, that this is how it works, and it shouldn't work this way, but this is how it works. Right now, he's going to take that simple statement, which he's already gone a little overboard with and claimed corruption. Right. And he's going to take that and turn it into our favorite snowball of inferences. And by the end of this this chapter, Hillary Clinton and Bill will be corrupt to the core and will have been charging money for direct quid pro quos that there is, of course, no evidence of other than Jarrett's inferences. uh, And that will be the, the indictment of them that we get to by the end of the chapter. Can I can I ask a question mm-hmm. really quickly? So he says some forty eight million was made while she was Secretary of State, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, which was two thousand nine to two thousand thirteen. Yeah, so presumably that's the end of where Washpo's analysis is. Yeah, which means that the other more than half of it was when she was not. <laughs> was when she, so nearly nearly sixty million was in the eight years when she was not. Yes. So that's about the right ratio, yeah. roughly. Yeah, I know. And 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 the speaking fees probably went up a bit with inflation. So that's not that. It's not like it massively inflated when she was Secretary I know. of State. It's not like, that crazy. I, I was just checking my math there. It's, uh, it, it's not like he made one million between two thousand and one and two thousand and nine, and then. 104 million thereafter it's literally the division is about where it should be yeah i mean he says on the next page oddly enough the pace of bill's lucrative speaking engagements especially those abroad accelerated during the four years his wife was at the state department not really though right but but here's the thing even if it had like 
why would that be weird? I don't, I, that's the thing, is like, yeah, he's, he's a former president, he's, he's back on yeah. the world stage because his wife has a prominent position, more people are thinking about getting him, and like, that just doesn't seem weird to me. It doesn't seem weird. No. Right. No, I mean, it, if we establish that this is within the, 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 you know, machine of politics that we've already talked about, that just doesn't yeah. seem weird no. uh, on the level that Jarrett would like us to infer that it is so weird. But yeah, and also Jared Kushner is literally in Saudi Arabia's back pocket. <laughs> he li- he lives inside yeah. Prince bin Salman's robe. I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes. Oh, like uh, like that little creature under the the robe in um, what's the Bill Clinton Scrooge movie? Scrooged? Scrooge. Oh, I was, I was just right? gonna say, you know, like like Voldemort in Professor Quill's oh, turban. Yeah, there we go. There like. we go. That's a better one. That's a better one. So we get on to the first subsection in this chapter, which is called the Clinton Foundation Gravy Train. Uh, and here's where we get introduced to the nefarious A-rated charity that is the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, very weird. <laughs> Which has done innumerable good works across <laughs> By the all globe. outward appearances, it was a good and legitimate charity. Also, most inward appearances. Well, yeah. Why are we really talking about this? Like, like a legitimately good and well-run charity that did a lot of work, especially in Africa. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, this this horrible. And the thing is that like You know whose foundation did not do that? <laughs> the Trumps. But the thing and you know there's there's another one of my Donald Trump did literally this, right? Donald Trump's charity was literally a vehicle for self-dealing. That's yep. all the Trump Foundation was. That's yeah. all they did it's with it. It's a publicity it. foundation. Right. It didn't even exactly that. It didn't even put on the facade of being a good charitable foundation, right? It yep. bought no. pictures of Donald Trump to hang in his golf clubs. Uh, mm-hmm. But but the weird thing about this for me is that and, – and Jarrett never brings it up in this book. But there was always those conspiracies about the Clinton Foundation that went way beyond what Jarrett claims here. Like the whole ridiculous they paid for Chelsea Clinton's wedding for uh, out of funds that were supposed to go to Haiti and stuff like that. That, you know, all that ridiculous stuff that was all completely false. Mm-hmm. I think – Jarrett thought for himself that's too that crazy too to put crazy. in my book. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's leaving open, and I think he welcomes the people who watch Fox News and believe those things to speculate. To, that, yeah. Yes, to speculate on those issues. So yeah. he says in this subsection, the charity also became a cash conduit, helping Bill collect millions of dollars as he leveraged the foundation to secure his lucrative personal speaking engagements. No footnote. No footnote. No footnote. But we do on the next page. We get a claim from uh, this is the uh, uh, Hoover Foundation historian, uh, Victor Davis Hanson, who said, quote, uh, that reality, talking about uh, how Hillary was in the White House uh, and or in the, the secretary of state's office and and uh, Bill was, you know, giving speeches, mm-hmm. that reality gave them access to quid pro quo opportunities often funneled through a philanthropic foundation of a sort unknown to any past American president. Now, it's true that no past American president has had a wife who was Secretary of State. I mean, so I guess, true? It's a relatively Un- modern like, thing. Yeah, yeah, true, I guess, maybe. Um, but look, th- th- there's an accusation there of quid pro quo, which we will not get any any sort of realistic proof of of in this chapter, we get the inferences that come from our next subsection, the Uranium One scam. Yeah, this was a wild journey for me. I mean, I was kind of vaguely aware of this in the same way I'm vaguely aware of all these scandals and and conspiracy theories. 
and just you know as as a talking point but it just seems so blatantly like not a thing to me <laughs> even even from within the pages of this it's like oh well it was a nine person panel any of whom could have vetoed them but they mm-hmm. probably felt pressured like what what are you talking about yeah yeah uh so yes we start off with uh president nerds oh god this these names Nazarbayev. 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 Yes, of Kazakhstan. Who had a long and ugly record of suppressing any political opposition, so it's bad that Bill Clinton met him. By the way, uh, Bin Salman, Duterte, and Kim Jong-un all say hello. (laughs) Look, politicians meet with bad people. It's it's a thing. Yeah, all the time. Uh, Also, uh, hey, Kim Jong-un, how you doing today? Uh, So what, the point we get here is that uh, there was this initial purchase of Kazakh uranium mines where Bill Clinton went along with uh, the owner of Uranium One uh, to meet with President, President Nazarbayev, and shortly thereafter, they approved the deal for Uranium One, the original Canadian company, to mm-hmm. buy uh, uranium mines in, uh, in Kazakhstan. Yeah. Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan. I don't know. One or the other, right? And uh, just Tom Giustra, the owner of Uranium One, gave the Clinton Foundation a $31.3 million donation following that. Because that's what rich people do. Yeah, it's what rich people do. Whether you think they should or they shouldn't, that is what rich people do. Also, his source for claiming that Hillary Clinton pressured the foreign government to approve this merger is... The guy who runs the government agency, the, the the president of the government agency that runs Kazakhstan's uranium industry, who presumably is bitter about losing his <laughs> uranium rights. Maybe. So really, like, I don't know. You, you would think, I don't know, but I can only make the assumption that he may have said in an offhanded comment, oh yeah, Hillary Clinton did it. Right. Like, you know, you've got to think about who you're quoting with and who might, you know, uh, qui bono is the mm-hmm. is the very like who benefits from yes. from being quoted like this? Yeah. So the next the next uh, incident we talk about in this subsection is the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, which is mm-hmm. like you were talking about that nine person board that met and had to approve the deal for Uranium One to be purchased by a Russian shell corporation owned by Rosatom, the Russian Nuclear Energy Administration. Uh, so. As you may have heard many times, many, many times, that is a nine-person board of which Hillary Clinton was only one vote. Yeah. Uh, also, in addition, Hillary Clinton didn't pay, take part in those deliberations. Nope. Uh, her secretary did. Uh, it's with, also, uh, it's not a simple majority. You literally mm-hmm. need the... the it needs to be unanimous. People. Yeah, it, needs it needs to be unanimous. unanimous decision. Yeah. So he, he both complains, I, I don't know if this is here, but um, he complains that she had a vote. Mm-hmm. And then he complains that she didn't use that vote. He's like, <laughs> she had a vote. She must have pressured them. And then and then they said her secretary just voted and she recused herself. So why wasn't she taking part in the decision? This seems like something mm-hmm. for the secretary of state to do. Like, make up your mind, dude. But the dumbest complaint to me has always been and continues to be the uh, uh, Russia having, quote, control of 20% of the U.S. uranium supply, right? Yeah, that a Russian is, company owns it. It doesn't mean that the right. Russians own it. The yeah. company has no mineral export rights, so they can't take uranium outside of the United States. Now, at one point, they paid a company that does export uranium to export some out of the United States, but the, that company did have mineral export rights. And the reason why that matters is because companies with mineral export rights for uranium are heavily regulated and controlled. 
so that we know about the business they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why it matters. But the other part of it to me that is so stupid is that he brings up that Russia, which has a lethal nuclear arsenal, can now tap American resources for the weapons it aims at U.S. cities, which A, we've already discussed, no, it can't. B, does he think there's a shortage of uranium or is or that or Russia a doesn't of have already enough active nuclear weapons? Right, like. nobody doesn't have enough uranium. Right, and the the counter side of this, like you mentioned with the other stuff earlier, the speaking fees, they if they control twenty percent of our uranium, that still means we control eighty percent of yeah. our uranium. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There is no shortages of uranium. Anybody can get uranium. Right. The hard part I mean, with I making can't. no, but the, yeah, you know, the hard part with making nuclear weapons is refining uranium. To yeah. weapons grade, right? That's yeah. where it gets to be hard, and where they have tr- where they have troubles. So, right, even if they have uranium, which plenty of countries have natural deposits of uranium, they could mine and use to make weapons. Yeah. It's just incredibly hard to m- refine the uranium and then have a bomb building program that is large enough and and sophisticated enough to actually get you workable nuclear weapons. There's yeah. a reason why it took North Korea 25, 30 years at this point. Right. My favorite bit of this where he's like, and maybe the uranium went to Iran with no evidence of that <laughs> yes. whatsoever. That's it's a great inference, isn't it? I might, have, I might have skipped ahead of yeah. No, but, bit, that, but... That, that is basically going to be taken, again, as the snowball of inferences, that's going to be basically taken as fact later on in this chapter, that that uranium went to Iran, right? Yeah, he says it again later, like, who knows whether Iran has it? Like, yeah. I mean, we do, because we were looking <laughs> at where they exported it to. Like, and the, the funny thing is, like, it's part of that whole... Uh, re- Democrats hate America type thing, right? He yeah, wants to want imagine Ameri- they that want we, Iran yeah. to nuke America, they, right? What? Which is like, how dumb do you have to be to honestly think that Democrats want the U.S. to be nuked? How stupid do you have to be as a human being to really believe that? I don't dumb, know. I, I really don't know. Uh, but after talking about the CFIUS board, that's the nine-person board. Uh, we talk, he he mentions, of course, that Jose Fernandez, uh, the assistant secretary, uh, is the one who actually sat on the board and, and made the vote. Uh, and he says, and this I love this paragraph. I'm just going to read it. Even more unconvincing was the statement from a Clinton spokesman, spokesman who maintained that no one had produced any evidence proving that Clinton conferred favors in exchange for money. That's a little like bragging about a burglar who was smart enough to wear gloves. Perhaps the Clintons were adept at hiding evidence. Maybe they avoided any paper trail that would be incriminating. But so t- many mitigating words, perhaps, <laughs> maybe, who knows? Right, but you just see how bullshit this yeah. whole argument is, right? The, the reason they pointed out that there's no evidence that she had done anything wrong is because, well, you can't produce evidence that that wasn't what happened. Right, yeah. so it's up to the people who think something happened to produce evidence yeah, that that happened. Yeah, it's the burden of proof. It's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah I know. It's it's a whole fucking thing. Uh, but we move on then to the next subsection in this chapter called Russia used bribes to secure U.S. uranium. Now this, I literally didn't take any notes on this whole subsection. It's so right. dumb. Like this is the most misleading subsection of this chapter because he conflates the uranium one scandal with an entirely different thing that happened. So, prior to 2010, and this investigation started around, I believe, 2007. I was looking this up earlier earlier today. Around 2007, 2008-ish, the FBI had a tip from someone who had inside sources within the Rosatom. I I don't know how that's pronounced properly, but Rosatom, something like that. Rosatom. uh, Rosatom, the Russian uh, Atomic Energy Administration, about how they 
were using bribery, kickbacks, money laundering, etc., to gain more influence for their nuclear program, right? And so that that investigation continued until around 2012, 2013-ish, until any charges were ever brought against anyone involved in that scandal, right? And the FBI never informed anyone about that ongoing investigation because it was a very sensitive investigation having to do with bribery. It was a RICO investigation. We're going to get to RICO later. It's almost never RICO. It's so funny that Jarrett <laughs> brings up RICO. It's never RICO. What's RICO? The I know you said racketeering and in... Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, unless it's literally the mafia, it's almost yes, it's almost never Rico. Unless it's Rico, sometimes it's Rico, but it's almost never Rico. Uh, so, but we get again, we get the the uh, inferences right about. Of course, this was happening since 2008. It had nothing to do with this particular uh, incident. And he asks if he knew, talking about Eric Holder, and failed to inform fellow members of the committee who approved the deal. He committed an egregious breach of trust. Then we get, did Hillary Clinton know? Unproven. Or covered up. <laughs> yeah, or that's covered the, up. That's the one thing I highlighted in this right. section. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, unproven, but it could have been covered up. So that's the, the fact that we up, don't know. Yeah, the exactly. fact that we don't know serves as evidence that this happened. We get so much of that in Jared's writing, and it is always infuriating. Every yeah. single this time. This all seems like stuff he couldn't prove in a court of law, so he's just decided to write a book about it that no yeah. one can challenge him on. Yeah. So let's move on to the law, which is the title of the next subsection. It's just titled The Law, uh, which the is law. pretty dumb. But he says, if it can be shown that Clinton used her office as Secretary of State to confer benefits to Russia in exchange for millions of dollars in donations to her foundation and cash to her husband— she should be prosecuted under a variety of anti-corruption laws passed by Congress. Yeah, so this 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 bit of the section reminds me of that bit in Herodotus, mm -hmm. um, where it's it's the Persians send a message to the Spartans, I think, saying, "If we defeat you in battle, we will string you out and we will take your women and your children and and then whatever." <laughs> and then the the Spartans literally send the word "if" back to so, them. So what you're referring to is the scene in 300, as everyone else yeah. would know it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, no, the bit from Herodotus. I love that you brought up Herodotus when <laughs> fucking you and I are like the only two people there's a few people listening who know who Herodotus is right the father of history but like nobody fucking else gives a shit who Herodotus is well, but if anyway. you if you describe the scene from the movie 300 everyone knows yeah. exactly what you're talking about well that's about. where we get the word laconic from that's a laconic response because yeah. the Spartans were called the Lacedaimonioi in yeah. Greek oh god there you oh, go. so anyway you, you, every, every day is a teaching day you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, he first makes the claim that she could be indicted under the bribery statute, which is 18 U.S.C. 201. Uh, he provides no evidence for that. He just says, as he always likes to do, it appears that the FBI may already possess all the evidence it needs to make a persuasive criminal case. No citations. No. no citations there, of course, as always. Yeah, this is the one where we only have an asterisk. This is the first <laughs> asterisk I've seen in this book. And it's like, <laughs> he can see someone's counterpoint being like, but Clinton was only one of nine. And he goes, no, Clinton's voice was only one of nine. And the other eight all did agree. It would still, she would still be liable if her vote was influenced. So. Right, it, which is true. But like the fact that they all agreed is is evidence that there was no one yeah, to influence. Some, it's, some mitigation. Yeah. yeah. So the next thing we get is Rico. He next brings up Rico. And again, Rico. it is almost never 
RICO. Okay? okay, RICO is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, and right. It is easy in a lot of cases to, at face value, without looking at the legal language, make a case for RICO, right? People always try and bring up RICO, and they try and extend the language in ways that it doesn't really work. Yeah. Because as I feel I've, like this as is I've, some emoluments cause shit. <laughs> well, as I've explained to you on this show, right, legal language is legal language for a reason. It's because there are terms of art and because there are words that have been defined by the court and that the court has ruled on how far they extend and all these sorts of issues, right? So the, the wording of Re, the RICO statute, which is 18 U.S.C. 16, uh, 1961 to 1968, is, quote, it is unlawful for anyone associated with any enterprise engaged in or the activities of which affect interstate or foreign commerce to conduct or participate directly or indirectly in the conduct of such enterprises' affairs through a pattern of racketeering activity or collection of unlawful debt, right? So racketeering is then defined as the use of a, a business for a corrupt and illegal enterprise or to operate that business with illegally derived income, domestic or foreign. Okay. Okay. Now, All right. that language has been severely limited by a lot of court decisions, which is why it's almost never RICO. It is almost never RICO, and you are correct. When it's RICO, it's usually the mafia, it is 90% of the time the mafia. That's when it's RICO. Okay, so which is why it's so stupid that a lawyer claims it's RICO here. It's just, but but you know what? Yeah. The thing is, it's the right that likes to make these stupid legal arguments. And I was talking about this the other day, and I want to get this out. This is a forum for me to complain about things. The yeah. public at large, I think, what they complain about with the law is what we call formalism, Right. It is looking at the words of a statute or something and reading them literally, right, which can result in very absurd results, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's why we have things like the absurd results doctrine, which says if reading language literally results in an absurd outcome, you don't read it literally, <laughs> right? But I think part of the reason why the, the public hates the law so much is that they think that it's formalism. They think formalism is the rule of law. And Possibly. at the same time, couldn't tell you those people, the people on the right who complain so much about the law, those are the people who the judges that they really like are the ones that push formalism, the textualists. Yeah. That's literally their thing. Yeah. Oh, it annoys right. the shit out of me. Okay. I got you. I, I just got needed you. a moment to complain. No, that's fine. That's fine. I don't, we have a very small subsection in here about mm -hmm. Muller coming. Yeah. Well. So we really we get sure we get the question. Literally two paragraphs. Like, like. <laughs> we get the question, right? If there was all this evidence, which I have said there is inference of, but have not provided any of, uh, talking in Jared's voice here, then why were there no charges brought about any of this? And he says, the answer may lie with the very people who oversaw the Russian bribery investigation, the one that had nothing to do with Uranium One, and who knew of its explosive impact. Who are they? And of course, it's Mueller, Comey, and Rosenstein. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? You know, the people who happened to be at the top of the FBI at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, crazy. Crazy how that works. Shocked. How time Shocked. works. I don't know. Yeah. But he says, there is no public information that these three men ever advised Congress of any of the incriminating materials they had discovered documenting Russian corruption. He then infers from that, it appears they buried the evidence from Congress, key officials in the executive branch, and the American public. So, when you don't make public a very uh, sensitive, sensitive investigation, yeah. 
you're burying it from yeah. I don't I know I will never understand how he reaches yep. these these no. sort of stupid things. No. Uh, but the next subsection we get is called the smoking gun Doug Band emails. Yeah, I just did this. Now do Trump again. Like, this is like, <laughs> such a stupid... Right, right. So what we get here is the fact that in the 2016 WikiLeaks email dump, there was an email from a guy named Doug Band, who runs a company called Teneo, uh, which is a uh, consulting firm, mm-hmm. which works for both the Clinton Foundation and Bill Clinton. And what he described in the email was that he his job is to raise funds for the foundation to get speaking engagements for Bill Clinton, et cetera, et cetera. So corruption, I guess. Yep. I guess. Sure. sure. Doesn't, doesn't yeah, seem to make much sense to anybody else. Really helped but UBS avoid the IRS. I'm not sure what that's well, Okay, okay, yes. Again. The, the, the sentence is, for example, in 2009, Hillary helped UBS, the Swiss bank, avoid the IRS, and then Bill got paid $1.5 million for speeches, to which I screamed out loud in my room, like how Donald Trump cut all the taxes for the banks so they didn't yeah. have to pay them? Yeah, is like, that the same? I, I thought Republicans cheered people trying to keep people from paying taxes. I thought yeah. that's how it worked. Taxation is theft, after all. <laughs> uh, okay. And then and then we get, again, if, that was, if the speaking engagement was a reward for Hillary's influence, as it appears to have been, appears to Jarrett, it would constitute the crime of bribery under federal law. Uh, and then we get Huma Abedin, who they love to complain about, of course. Uh, and how she Wiener w- Yes. the name I couldn't remember. On yes, the her husband, her husband. Uh, yeah. And how she was a special government employee. She had an exception to the rules that normally forbid certain types of conflicts of interest as a government employee, to which I screamed again, just like all of Donald Trump's children! Yeah. Yep. Well, no, I mean, it's only Ivanka. Jared Kushner! Jared Kushner! Literally! You have him! It drove me insane. It drove me insane. And then we get the conclusion of this argument, which apparently the best evidence, the absolute best evidence of how corrupt Bill and Hillary Clinton were is that after Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election... And retreated from public life... They stopped. They, Bill Clinton got fewer speaking engagements, and there were fewer donations to the Clinton Foundation. Shocker! Really, really shocking. Yeah. Really shocking, isn't that how that works? And he yep. says, "Quote: This is probably the best evidence that corrupt purposes were at the heart of the Clinton Foundation as a vehicle for making money for the Clintons themselves. What is also, the point again, of trying to sorry. bribe someone who no longer holds the levers of power? They they didn't drop that much. It was like thirty percent, which for someone who literally <laughs> retreated from public life is not that big a drop. Yeah. Unlike uh, the Trump charity, which a court ordered had to be closed, and the Trump family is no longer allowed to operate a charity. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I will never. I'm speed. You, you, you hear me? When, like normally throughout our episodes, I don't stumble and stutter this no. much. But it's hard for me to deal with this level of stupid. It really is. Yeah. That reminds right. me. That reminds me of something really quick. I wanted to make you feel good for a moment, which was I was sitting in class the other day, right? And I go to a top tier law school. Very intelligent people. I'm surrounded by. And the guy speaking in class behind me used like every other word. Mm-hmm. Right. He did the stereotypical teenage girl of it's like, you know, like when like he did that thing, which I had to say, Benedict, you say like 
quite a bit. And you do it much less. You do it much less now than when we started podcasting. Yeah. You perhaps. certainly have uh, uh, gotten gotten much better about using uh, words like that. Uh, <laughs> see Such see as how that. I did there? Yeah. See what I did there? And, I don't uh, think I use it that much, to be honest. My, my main problem is starting a sentence before I know where it's going and having too many <laughs> pregnant pauses in it. But you, uh, this is what I'm saying, you used to, because the guy who listens to every single episode and edit, edits them, you did use that quite a bit in the past. Sure. And uh, I just wanted to say that you've gotten much better. And I, I think it's you. you know very intelligent people use those verbal crutches when they're speaking sometimes. It's just about yeah. practice. No, it's true. And, and, it's and also it's, it, it's formulating your... My brain is so quick that my mouth can't keep up. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. All right. So I will read the last now, sentence of now this chapter. That seems like a good place to end. Yeah. I will read the last sentence of this chapter, as I always do, which is, quote, The Clinton Foundation's downward trajectory ever since Clinton's election loss provides further testimony to claims that the organization was built on greed and the lust for power and wealth, not charity. The end of chapter four. We still end have more to come, but four. the good news is chapter four was the end of Hillary Clinton stuff, and we are now on to now the Russia stuff. The real crazy, which is going to be a lot of fun. The next chapter is called you The promise? Fraudulent Case Against Donald Trump. So I am very excited for that. We are moving forward and and not that long, not that long till we'll be done with this, right? Only about a yeah. month and a half, hopefully. And in the final segment this week, we are back. And I know some of you thought, are they going to keep doing this book? I, I thought But yes, that damn it. Yes, we are. Because this book is still bullshit. Uh, our, our book review, this is chapter five of The Russia Hoax. The illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. And I can only hope, I had this thought the other day. Uh, that Jarrett's going to make a movie out of this one like Dinesh does. Uh, how great would that be? Yeah, that would be... It would really be fantastic. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> I hope By not. the way, by the way, if no one's aware, uh, God Awful Movies, uh, d- they finally, uh, apparently, did uh, 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 Death of a Nation. Oh, they shit. did Death of a Nation okay. two weeks ago. We got there first. Uh, we did it first. Yeah, one of our listeners tweeted it at me and told me that... Because it was the week I was sick. Uh, one of our listeners tweeted at me that God Awful Movies did uh, Death of a Nation. And... Uh, the funny thing is, like, what was it? Like two months before we did the movie review, I had messaged Eli Bosnick and asked him if he wanted to come oh, do it with no. us. Yeah, yeah, I did. And he, they were, uh, they were getting ready for a live show at that time, so he wasn't, uh, he was too busy. He told me he couldn't do it, but they finally did it themselves. I think ours is better, but uh, you can listen to both. <laughs> That's because I compare. got blazing drunk on ours. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't well. You did get. You started to get quiet near the yeah, end because you were you were just enjoying listening to me, sure. Aaron, and Thomas sure, that talk. Was it. Yeah, that, that was why. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, why don't we get into this chapter, Chapter Five, which is titled "The Fraudulent Case Against yeah, Donald Trump." Yeah, my, my my alternate title is "The Completely Legitimate Case Against Donald Trump." <laughs> and my subtitle uh, this week is uh, "No Collusion, Completely Exonerated." I thought I'd, uh, I'd <laughs> yeah, updated off it the nicely. News of the week. Exactly, updated. Uh, so the, the little intro quote that we get on this one, you know he likes to do his little intro quotes, is, it is the worst oppression that is done by color of justice. And uh, color is spelled wrong, of course, it's I should mention. with a U, so completely <laughs> Yes, it's spelled British, it's spelled completely wrong. 
Uh, so we start off this chapter, of course, with some flowery bullshit language about, uh, you know, those who are entrusted to enforce the law instead abuse their power to pursue innocent people. Innocent, Pre- Presumably, really, also, so, so one, one thing I would just say before that, he, he is not talking about pre-civil rights era America, where black people <laughs> were oppressed by the law all the time. No, no that's when America was great. Okay. We're going to make it like it, that again. Just, just checking. Right, we, just checking. Black, we need to black more uh, civil rights leaders. That's what we need to do. So he starts off with the claim that there was no reasonable suspicion or evidence sustaining probable cause, which I will say right off the bat is complete bullshit. Yep, that's not right. N- not just because there obviously was plenty of evidence for reasonable suspicion or probable cause, but because both of those terms are so ill-defined that judges in criminal law regularly say no one knows what reasonable suspicion means. Nobody fucking knows no. what reasonable suspicion or probable cause means. It, it literally, that is, a, it's a joke when you take criminal law that, that nobody knows. Nobody knows what it means. It means, can, can the cops can, uh, you know, convince a judge that they had it? If yes, <laughs> then there was it. That's it. That's as far as it goes. Yeah, that's fun. So, yeah, I mean, this is the bit where he, he basically says uh, Trump's about to be framed and accuses the FBI, I guess, of being Stalinist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Which is oh, yes, I the, love very the Stalin weird. quote. So, show I me the man and I'll the find Stalin you the crime. Quote. Great quote. But also yeah. just weirdly, like as soon as as soon as it like affects them and rich white people in any way, they're like, fuck cops. Like immediately. <laughs> like, uh, yes. Yeah. It's By the way, weird. I should say, I should say, this is the one piece of legal advice I can give uh, on the show and that everyone, every uh, law professor ever will always tell you this. Don't talk to the police. Don't talk to the police and never give consent for a search, okay? Don't talk to the police, never give consent for a search. Those two things, I will always guarantee you, that is advice everyone will give you. Every lawyer ever will give you that Having advice. Having said that, don't take legal advice from a podcast. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So we start off with this uh, subchapter or this uh, subheading called Clinton case ends as Trump case begins. Coincidence? <laughs> it he doesn't say not. coincidence, but... He thinks not. Oh, well, he he says it's likely no coincidence that almost immediately after Clinton Why was cleared of criminal charges... I don't know. What, we've seen, right, my snowball of inferences yeah. throughout this book. I like that. Anything that can be considered can be, even possibly, to be intentional, has to be. And by the end of a chapter, it becomes gospel truth. We know that that's how this works. So he starts off by acknowledging that the Russians regularly interfere in American politics and that they did indeed interfere in the 2016 presidential election. Uh, That must have been hard for him to write, given that Donald Trump doesn't seem to know whether he agrees with that statement or not. Over the last two and a half years, he has gone back and forth as have all of the Republicans over whether that is, is in fact, a thing or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Jarrett does admit that that happened. But then he says that there was nothing in particular that Trump did that precipitated the Russians to try to disrupt the Clinton campaign. Uh... He played no role, and there was no evidence that he engaged in any clandestine talks with Russian leadership or other agents of the state. I mean, potentially, but also that's what the report was supposed to figure out if he'd done. Exactly. Exactly, and that's that's the jumping the shark or the jumping the conclusions of this chapter, 
right, is that he starts with, you know, there's no evidence of any of this. So why are you investigating? Well, to, to find out if there was To wasn't. find out if so this That's happened. why we're investigating. That's, yeah. Because this thing happened and there seems to be a connection and there's all this smoke. We're trying to see if there's fire. That's, that's always the response to these things. So uh, we start off with, of course, uh, you know, going through this, uh, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. <laughs> he has to bring in Page and Strzok yeah, because according boring. to him, of course, they were, they were part of the masterminds behind all of this. So he includes another uh, text chain between Page and Strzok, yeah. uh, which is, uh, and this is, this is where it gets uh, strange and bullshitty, is that he's, he's going to say that, you know, Page jumped at the chance to join the Mueller investigation. Uh, even though the texts he provides are struck trying to say to Page, maybe you shouldn't join the Mueller investigation, and them talking about yeah, whether or not weird. he should. It is. It really is. Uh, but it's the whole, uh, t- you know, protecting the country from that menace thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and, of course, he infers that to mean that he's going to throw this investigation or start this fraudulent investigation, whereas we, we of course, know that they already had evidence of some bad stuff going on regarding Donald Trump. Yeah, it's it, they're very, very weird texts. It's, it, it doesn't really make sense to me. They're no, talking about the, the path the they throw out for consideration in Andy's office. It's just like no way he gets elected. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure what this is meant to... Well, because he uses those to lead into. He says, what what was it that they talked about in Andy's office? He says, it may have been the FBI's investigation of Trump and his associates, which is probably what it was, or it might have been the infamous anti-Trump dossier. And, of course, we're going to get lots of talk about the dossier yep. throughout this chapter and the rest of the book. Which was paid that's for what he wants by Republicans on. in the first Right, instance. and there, they do – he includes – oh, this is great. I love this part. So he includes um, the entire chain between uh, Jim Jordan and, and FBI Director Chris Wray uh-huh. uh, talking about – uh, the dossier and how they got uh, the you know, FISA warrants and all that kind of stuff. And Jim Jordan said uh, during that uh, conversation, remember a couple of things, Director, about the dossier. The Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign, which we now know were the one one in the same, paid the law firm who paid Fusion GPS, who paid Christopher Steele, who then paid Russians to put together a report we called the dossier, filled with all kinds of fake news, National Enquirer regarding <laughs> end of that quote i love but then i wrote as i always have to in the side of my book republicans just cannot pronounce jeb bush's name properly it's weird they never can they never can jeb yeah jeb started this and then it was handed over to hillary clinton yes to pay for the research not her herself but the 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 democratic national committee and the clinton campaign but yeah jeb bush started it let's not forget that yeah, and we also, we get this, you know, his timeline is all screwed up in this book. He says, quote, When Robert Mueller was later appointed as special counsel to assume control of the FBI's Trump-Russia case, both Strzok and Page immediately joined his team of lawyers and investigators. Now, the investigation began in May of 2017. Mm-hmm. Peter Strzok joined in July of immediately. 2017. So, that's my question. Is that immediately? No. Is that really no. what that word no, means? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but so then we get this this great language following the quote from Jim Jordan, which is this long, stupid block quote. We all know how stupid Jim Jordan yep. is, where we get two very important qualifying phrases that are part of my snowball of inferences. And I think this demonstrates perfectly how it works. He says, if it was Strzok if. who maneuvered to utilize the largely discredited dossier, he may also may. have been hiding how the dossier was misused. And we will, by the end of the chapter, 
have those things. Those things are true. That is exactly what he was doing. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, if conditional clauses in this chapter that yes. somehow end up being when clauses, yes. which as any yes. student of languages can tell you are not the same thing. Oh, are you a student of languages? I didn't, did you not know? <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Uh, it, just, it wasn't in, it was like outside of somewhere. Yeah, no, it, wasn't it was, like it in, was just around in, in the south of England. Or in, Oxford, in the south yeah, of England. Yeah. You went to the Near south Oxford. of England. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, we also, and, and this just struck out to me because the, um, he's quoting, after he claiming after claiming that uh, all the collusion stuff can be traced directly to Struck and Page, which it can't, uh, he quotes Steve Rogers, which I, look, that just stands out to me. That's Captain America's name. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say someone, that. Someone, you know, I, I don't know who Steve Rogers is, this guy, but you don't deserve that name. You You're on Trump's, you don't deserve the name Steve Rogers. Uh, anyways, the next subheading is called No Legal Basis to Open the Trump Investigation. So, uh, he lays out the guidelines, uh, but the Domestic Investigations and Operations Guide of the FBI mm-hmm. state that to, to uh, conduct an investigation, they must have a reasonable, reasonable basis for commencing an investigation after having first identified a particular crime or threatened crime. Now, again, I will say, because Greg Jarrett is doing stupid lawyering here, Reasonable basis is another one of those phrases that nobody can tell you what it means. No one. And again, if the police can convince the judge that there was a reasonable basis, then there's a reasonable basis. That's as close as we can get to a definition of that phrase. Okay. But he claims that there must have been some reliable intelligence information to warrant the opening of a counterintelligence probe, Mm -hmm. which, again... It appears there definitely yeah, was. It's very confusing. Like the the Steele dossier, even if it's not completely true, there's some truth to it. We have subsequently found out. Mm-hmm. So, right, and, and I, I we've talked about the scare italics in this book before, yeah. and I want to say maybe they're not scare italics. I think they're sarcastic italics now. Maybe because the intelligence information is in the the, the italics. And then on the next page, we get, the answer seems to be that they had little, if any, reliable, in scare italics, facts, or verified, again, in the uh, the uh, sarcastic italics, <laughs> evidence that would support a crime. So he's admitting, apparently, there, that there were facts and evidence. He's just calling into question whether they were reliable or verified. Yeah. Which, again, to how verify How do you verify them without, an, yeah, exactly. Is how you do, is why you do an investigation, exactly. right? yep. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, He then throws in this argument here, that all of Trump's campaign was protected by First Amendment, uh, the First Amendment free speech clause, Uh, which, no, no, you cannot commit campaign finance violations just because you have the freedom of speech. (laughs) Austin Ash. Exactly. Oh, these two need to get together and write a book. They do. Oh, if Dinesh. They should do a talk show. They should do a podcast. If they wrote a book Dinesh and Greg Greg Jarrett, the podcast. Yes. Oh, I would listen to that. I would listen you know to I would yeah, listen yeah. to that. <laughs> oh. So we get the next subheading is called Collusion is Not Because a of course it is. Because of it, course that is, is the next subheading. The, because, right. And this is the thing is that we all know that. And we have said that we've known that. Everyone knows that. But there's they play this stupid game where they pretend as though, you know, it's, it's a stupid straw manning tactic, right? Where you pretend that the other side, you know, hasn't answered your question. That's the stupid part about yeah. it, is we've answered that question. Yes, we know that collusion is not a crime out of anti, outside of antitrust violations, do you know, right? Do you know what is We're a crime? We're using then? it as shorthand. Do you know what is a, do you huh? know what is a crime? Treason. What? 
Treason's yes, a crime. Yes, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as well as like two dozen different things that could have happened alongside all of this other yep. stuff. <laughs> so we get we get Greg Jarrett uh, complaining about people using the word collusion uh-huh. because, of course, he's going to. Oh, so-and-so said collusion on TV and so-and-so else also said collusion on TV. And look at how smart I am because I, I, Greg Jarrett, know that collusion is only a crime in antitrust violations. Yeah. And I'm completely ignoring that it's very obvious they're using it as a shorthand to mean crimes committed in coordination with Russia or, or a foreign state. Yeah, so it, it seems to me that their only evidence in this whole chapter is... It comes from Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. That's like mm-hmm. that's all they've got. It seems like. Well, that that's Jared. That's what Jared is saying is that everything came from Page and Strzok, disregarding the fact that we were all watching everything Trump said. Yeah. Literally, and it was as things he said he was earlier saying. in this in this show, right. he said to Lester Holt, "I fired Comey because I didn't like how the Russia right. stuff was going." The week before the emails were really, but the week before Hillary Clinton's emails were dumped. Right. He went on stage and said something very interesting is coming. Right. That, that, how do you ignore that? I just don't understand how these people uh, don't get it. They just don't get it. Uh, but of course, we get back to James Comey. Right. Comey is another one of the boogeymen in this yep. book. Uh, and he claims that Comey and the FBI found no evidence that Trump committed any wrongdoing bullshit or had otherwise collaborated with Russia. Uh, the agency maintained its investigation into whether members of the Trump campaign, other than the candidate himself, had colluded with Russia, which, of course, we know now. Uh, Jerome Corsi and Robert... Uh, 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 fuck. Uh, why am I blanking on... Roger uh, Stone? Roger Stone. Why did not, I say Robert not, and Roger yeah, Stone? Not, not they were the ones who coordinated with Russia. Yeah. Right. They were the ones who coordinated. And so it's this qualifying language of saying, well, people in the campaign or people other than the candidate. It's throwing in all these people qualifiers. associated with the campaign, yeah, yeah. Right. Trying to distance it, it from Donald Trump as much as humanly possible. And and look, I, we, we, I agree. I think that Donald Trump was told by someone at some point. I think there's no question in my mind that after Donald Trump Jr. met with uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya in Trump Tower, he went and talked to Daddy. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. The problem is we can't prove no. that. So we we get an, we get another guy, and this is like I'm skipping pages because these pages are just Got more it. collusion's not a crime. Collusion became part of the legal vocabulary. Blah 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 blah. It's all pointless. The, but the then he is, makes not, this crazy claim. The, the point claim. being, of course, that this wasn't nobody was ever well. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but the point wasn't to try and see if Donald Trump had committed a crime necessarily in the in the strict sense of the word. The point of this was to see if Donald Trump had organized with a foreign power to help get himself elected, because that whether that's a crime or not, that's something the American public should know. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then he makes this claim, which is patently false, just patently false. Uh, that even if information was conveyed from Russia to the Trump campaign, it is not considered a thing of value under election laws, which is patently That's false. That's not true. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, false. That's... Information. Imp- literally, campaigns pay for information. It is a thing of value. We know that because somebody paid for the dossier. Yeah which contained information. That was the purpose so of it. It, it. Opposition research. So the point being, yeah, if this is given to Trump as as a campaign gift, then that is an mm-hmm. e- illegal campaign contribution under campaign finance law. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely, right. And that's another thing that we used collusion as shorthand for, which Jarrett wants to completely ignore. 
so he goes through a couple pages of saying, ah, oh, so-and-so said there was no evidence of collusion. Devin Nunes says there was no evidence of collusion. And Devin he's, Nunes. he's Devin Nunes. Who is he's currently not... suing a Twitter account for defamation. By the way, oh God, I wanted to talk about that too. <laughs> I wanted to talk, because, okay, because that has been making the rounds of all the law school meme pages. <laughs> uh, Devin Nunes's ridiculous lawsuit against Twitter and uh, the two Twitter accounts, Devin Nunez's mom and Devin Nunez's cow, which... <laughs> which now, I think, have more Twitter followers than he does, which is pretty funny. Right! They started off with about 2,000 followers, Streisand and effect. after he sued them, they now have more followers than him! Streisand effect. It, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. But he's claiming $250 million Dumbass. in damages. And and the, the the big conversation that we as law students have been having is will he face san- will his lawyer face sanctions for this, right? That's a big thing. Uh, um uh, FRCP 11, the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, Rule 11 allows for sanctions when lawyers do stupid things basically. Right, and so one of the cases you read in law school having to do with that is is a, a, a New Jersey racetrack case where basically a, a client lied to an attorney who then filed a lawsuit on that person's behalf, mm-hmm. and the the phrase that comes out is an attorney is entitled to rely upon the objectionably reasonable representations of their client, right? The objectively reasonable representations, and there is no way that some of the things in this lawsuit are objectively reasonable, right? <laughs> Uh, Devin Nunes is claiming that it's because of Twitter and these accounts that he got far fewer votes in the midterm elections. <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's really ridiculous. He's basically claiming a conspiracy. It's a whole bunch. Well, maybe we'll talk about it next week. It's really fun. Also, his attorney has a Netscape uh, email address, <laughs> which is fantastic. I don't know what that means. It's either Netscape sure. or like Homelink or somebody like that. You know, one of those old people email uh, addresses. Okay, okay. Right, right. So, and then, of course, we get another, in this chapter, back to the chapter, we get another phrase. There was never any evidence that candidate Trump had personal conversations or contracts with Russian It's an extremely high bar for someone who styles himself as a mafia boss and will never have direct right. conversations with anyone that might be incriminating. <laughs> right. And that, that sentence comes immediately before the subsection, talking with Russian... With a Russian is not a crime. Oh, is this the bit where uh, it's like talking about Kislyak and like yeah, well, <laughs> Russia's and here's chief the thing. spy? Yeah, we're going to get a whole chapter called Talking with Russians is not a crime. But for some reason, he felt the need to put a subsection in this chapter called Talking with a Russian is not a crime. I think is this is like crime. a summary of all the chapters that are to come from what I've seen. Possibly. Because they, they also have like, the, there's a, a one on the dossier. There's yeah. one on, uh, yeah, meeting with Russians is not a crime, government abuse of surveillance. So this is like a a mid a midpoint chapter that gives us a oh, summary. Oh man, you of know, I I did not think that he was he was that good of a writer to think of doing that. I mean, not a good writer, but like in the law, we call that road mapping. Yeah. How you write a brief or a memo, and so like, yeah, maybe uh, maybe he does remember a little bit of his one illegal writing class. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the talking with a Russian is not a crime is just. Ooh, you can talk to anybody you want, which, again, yeah, we get that. But not the to subvert is... the, the government and, and the democracy in the country. Right. The problem is when that talking has to do with crimes. That's <laughs> when it becomes crimes. a problem. Yeah. Right. All right. So the next subsection, because that one was short and boring, is called Papadopoulos's Bar Talk. And this is where we try and com- – this is the last one. This is where we try and disregard completely the fact that George Papadopoulos knew – apparently, about the emails before anyone else did. 
Uh, and the the phrase we get, the, I'm just going to read this whole, I think it's two or three sentences here, which I think is is perfect. He says, quote, let's examine, examine the rumor Papadopoulos heard. An unidentified person in Moscow told a professor he had dirt on an American candidate. The professor told Papadopoulos, who then may have told an Australian diplomat, who then told the FBI. Forget the professor denied he ever had such a discussion with Papadopoulos about Russian dirt on Clinton. Anyone along the chain of chatter could have lied or exaggerated or mistakenly conveyed the exchange of words. All of that disregards the fact that then the emails were released and we have verification of what happened. Yeah, so it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter to what extent the rumor was a rumor. It turned out to be true. So yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I also love here that he's playing down the George Papadopoulos, just like Donald Trump did. He calls him a young volunteer, yeah. is what they call George Papadopoulos. <laughs> 28-year-old energy consultant who was selected to serve as a volunteer, yeah. Yes, yes, I love that. Uh, but so then we get the, the last thing about Papadopoulos he mentions uh, to throw doubt onto Papadopoulos is why did Papadopoulos, for reasons that were inexplicable and baffling, he did not tell the truth and was charged with and pled guilty to making a material false statement about knowing about the emails. Yes. <laughs> Which, I, I, it's, it's your book, Greg. You don't have to put that in there. Your audience will believe any bullshit you say. You can lie to them. Mm-hmm. You can lie we'll to them. just leave shout. Yeah. Out. it's like, well, I mean, this, I mean, how could, how could Papadopoulos have known about the emails? He lied about it later. Yeah. Right? It's, that, that is so counterintuitive to me. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. No, But I agree. then we end the chapter. I will, as I always do, read the last paragraph, which is, uh, the, the, he was talking about uh, the New York Times uh, reporting on the Papadopoulos stuff. The Times reporters may have been used, wittingly or unwittingly, to deflect attention from the dubious dossier and to provide some other justification for the Trump investigation. If this was the goal, it was an implausible and clumsy attempt at misdirection. Under no normal circumstances would a rumor based on multiple hearsays be a proper and legal reason for opening a criminal investigation. Sidebar, yes, yes, that that literally happens. <laughs> they, police open investigations based on rumors they hear all the time. It falls under you know reasonable suspicion. Uh, especially when the original source was not even identified and none of the allegations were substantiated. It's worth looking more closely at the dossier and why President Trump's tormentors would rather that we didn't. Uh, and that is the end of Chapter 5 of The Russia Hoax. Uh, did we learn anything, nope, really? Not at all. I, not even a little I think, bit. I think it's interesting to read this chapter on the day that the Mueller stuff happens. Yeah. That was definitely an interesting experience, because I was reading it earlier this afternoon, because uh, I read it weeks ago, but then I was rereading it today. It was definitely an interesting experience to read this today. Yeah, I, and I mean, as, as you say, you made the point earlier that um, nobody would well greg greg presumably will be very happy that um that trump wasn't interviewed or very unhappy rather Mm -hmm. because you can't prove that someone was innocent if they haven't been interviewed correct yeah exactly yeah according to greg jarrett yeah that's you have to interview someone in order to find out if they're innocent or guilty so uh we learned that from him and i I have a feeling he's gonna step back from that he's gonna step back from that a little bit
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.